Amen. Amen. If you would turn with me in your copy of God's Word into uh, Revelation chapter 2. We are continuing our study, our series in uh, the book of Revelation, um, going over the letter to the letters to the seven churches. This morning will be in Revelation 2, um, starting in verse 18. As we've been walking through this series here in Revelation, some things should be uh, really front of mind. Hopefully you're getting reinforced with the message of, uh, firstly, to, to read your Bible. And not just for the sake of, of reading the Bible, but uh, for the, the goal and the express purpose of getting to know God. You know, I often talk about uh, the relationship that we have with God, and, and we, we, as Christians, we talk a lot about that. It's not a religion, it's a relationship. But if you look at the relationships in your life, and you look at the ones that are particularly special to you, the ones that are thriving in your lives, I, I imagine there's some certain characteristics that's involved in that relationship. I would imagine for those thriving relationships in your life, the people that you, you are close with them, you are not only close in proximity, but also just, just close, you're, you're thinking about them, they're thinking about you, you're talking all the time, or maybe you're not in proximity, but using the technology that we have and phone and Zoom and all these other, FaceTime, you name it, that we're still able to connect with the person that we have a relationship with. These people that you have a relationship with, especially if they're thriving, you, you know them like the back of your hand. They know you sometimes better than you know yourself. When you look at these relationships, you're not only talking all the time and you're thinking and you're praying for them and you want to know how they're doing. You want to know how their life is going, what's, what's happening in their family and friends, what's happening with them at work. And you want to be able to be there to celebrate with them when they have something that goes well. You want to be there with them if something doesn't go well. You can be there to, to grieve with them or to be sad or to, to cry or console or all these things. When you have a relationship, that's kind of the way it looks. These are expectations. You know, if, if somebody claimed to be your best friend and you never talked to them, you're like, you think you're no friend of mine. I don't know who you think you are. We barely talk. Matter of fact, we pass each other in the grocery store, you didn't even say nothing. Like, what, what kind of friend are you? If you look at your, your family and, and things of that nature, they're are certain ways and things that just kind of happens. They're expectations. And, and it draws a closeness that you have with those people. So if we want to say that Christianity is a relationship and not a religion, I, would, I wonder if your relationship with God looks like it does with your best friend. I wonder if your relationship with God looks like it does with that person you grew up with or a sibling or whomever, I wonder. Do, do you really have a relationship with God? How, how strong is it? Are you thriving in that relationship? Because if somebody came up to you and, and told you something about your best friend and say, well, hey, I saw uh, such and such, I saw Mary come up and, you know, uh, she's, she's in the Robin Banks now. Like, what? Wait a minute. What? Mary who? 
Who are you talking about? Not my, not my friend Mary. Not the one that I know. She wouldn't do that. You know, Joe wouldn't go out and be out all night drinking in the bars and, and taking home random people. No, that's not, not, the, not the one I know. Not my best friend. We will be able to know and identify, and nobody could come across us and tell us something different, right? At least I hope not. Like, man, that's totally out of character for the person that I know personally. But when it comes to God, people come up and, and have these conversations, and they want to tell us things about God that is not how he has revealed himself in the Scripture. And these days, because we're so disconnected, because we're not spending the time with him, we don't have a relationship with him, a true thriving relationship, it's like, oh, well, yeah, maybe that is true. When in actuality, the alarm bell should be going off like, wait, no, not my God. That's not how he operates. That's not how he treats his people. That's not something that is in his character. And we have no shortage of false teachers these days capitalizing on the lack of biblical literacy. Like, well, you just have enough faith. If you just pray hard enough and you just ask God and he'll give you that big house that you've been wanting. If you just go out and, and trust on him, if you sow a seed into this ministry, I guarantee you'll get it back fivefold. But if you are reading the Bible and looking at it, you're like, I don't, that doesn't line up with how God operates, how, how God works and how he interacts with his people. But these false teachers are going and capitalizing. They're, they want to guarantee that the people that they're talking to have no idea who God is. Like, well, that may, I do want the house, man. I do want this car. I do want the job. And so maybe, maybe it's right. Let's, honey, let's just take all of our savings and, and sow it into this ministry because, man, I believe that we'll get it back. Taking advantage of people who are well-meaning, who earnestly want to know God and who he is. It's abhorrent. It is ridiculous, it's despicable, and when it comes to judgment, they will be judged harshly. As the scripture says that, you know, if you want to be a teacher, you want to be especially a pastor, that you will be judged for how you have led God's people, either leading them to God or leading them to astray, and that's something that we'll have to answer for. So as Christians, not only do we need to know God and know his character, but we also need to look out for these false teachings. We need to be aware. We need to make sure that our alarm bells are going off, that we know the genuine truth of the gospel and who God is, and be able to identify when somebody is not aligning with that. Today we're going to talk about heresy. And, and the title is the Heresy Hunters. We need to be hunting for heresies, especially in the church. 
And people will come in and try to lead others astray. That's my job here. I'm, I'm, I'm supposed to be on the forefront uh, guiding you all and fending off the wolves as they come in and try to lead you astray, try to teach another gospel. And show in the scripture how it is that we're supposed to act and live and who God is and what his character looks like. But as you leave here, and, and I'm not around and the deacons are not around, right, you gotta fend for yourself. You gotta be able to have the arsenal ready so you can identify what's true and what's not. Here we're gonna read about Thyatira, a city, and how they had a they had some difficulty identifying false prophets. They had a, a real challenge combating heresy and what to do about it. And instead of standing up and fighting, they're like, well, man, that sounds good. That's, that's pretty cool. Maybe we should go with, with that and still try to call themselves following Christ. Look with me in your copy of God's Word. Revelation 2 will start in verse 18. Here God's word reads, Write to the angel of the church in Thyatira, thus says the Son of God, the one whose eyes are like fiery flame and whose feet are like fine bronze. I know your works, your love, faithfulness, service, and endurance. I know that your last works are greater than the first. But I have this against you. You tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and teaches and deceives my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat meat sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she does not want to repent of her sexual immorality. Look, I will throw her into the sickbed and those who commit adultery with her into great affliction. Unless they repent of her works, I will strike her children dead then all the churches will know that I am the one who examines minds and hearts and I will give to each of you according to your works. I say to the rest of you in Thyatira who do not hold this teaching, who haven't known the so-called secrets of Satan, as they say, I am not putting any other burden on you. Only hold on to what you have until I come the one who conquers and who keeps my works to the end, I will give him authority over the nations and he will rule them with an iron scepter. He will scatter them like pottery. Just as I have received this from my father, I also give him the morning star. Let anyone who has ears to hear, listen to what the spirit says to the churches. Won't you all pray with me? Heavenly Father, open our hearts and minds here this morning. Open our ears to hear you speak to us through your word. And as we look of, of what has gone on here in Thyatira, help us not only to understand what they were dealing with, but help us to uh, uh, see how it is that we can take uh, these lessons and apply it to our own lives so that we don't repeat the path that they've gone down. Help us to see how we can live for you and, and lift up your name on high. Help us to be able to know you in such a way that we would know and understand instantly the, the, the truth from a lie. Help 
to protect us from false teachers and those who would lead us astray. Father, give me the words this morning to say and how to say them. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. My Lord, my strength, and my Redeemer, whom I trust. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So here we are in uh, talking about the city of Thyatira. Now, this city was halfway between Pergamum and Sardis, some of the other churches that we talked about earlier in this chapter. And this is a city that really lacked defenses. So its history was one that it was continuously being destroyed and rebuilt. Somebody would come in and attack them and take things out, and then they, they come and take over and rebuild the city, and this happened over and over again. Thyatira was a, a politically and a culturally marginalized city, but uh, their economy was okay, right? Their economy was primarily driven by uh, producing and trading of metals and fabric. And so they had lots of nice trading things going on uh, to help their economy. And if you remember Lydia from the book of Acts, you would remember uh, that she was a seller of purple fabric in, uh, in Philippi, and she just so happened to be from Thyatira. So you can connect those two there. You know, remembering uh, Lydia, um, who was uh, converted during Paul's ministry and her lineage coming from Thyatira. In verse 18, it says, Write to the angel of the church in Thyatira, thus says the Lord of God, the one whose eyes are like fiery flame and whose feet are like fine bronze. Like the other letters that we've read about here in, in chapter, chapter 2, Christ here is describing himself. This is Christ speaking. And he describes himself with eyes of flame and fire, and feet like burnished bronze. And this would evoke the imagery that uh, these metal makers and construction workers would, um, they would recognize as they working on the copper and everything else. They are around flames of fire all the time. They know what the fire does and they, they know about uh, uh, what that means to them. So it bring, also brings reminders from the, the Old Testament. So if we think back to Ezekiel, Ezekiel 1 and 27, it says, from what seemed to be his waist up, I saw a gleam like amber with what looked like fire enclosing it all around. From what seemed to be his waist down, I also saw what looked like fire. There was a brilliant light all around him. So Christ here is saying with his fiery eyes, he is searching the mind of the people. He's searching the heart of the people and his feet will crush his enemies. You know, I love this, this, this personification that we see through, throughout Revelation to, to see, not, not just like, hey, I'm going to do this, but give you a picture to see in your mind about exactly what he is talking about and what he will do. Verse 19 says, I know your works, your love, faithfulness, service, and endurance. I know that your last works are greater than the first, but I have this against you. You tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself the prophetess and teaches and deceives my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat me sacrificed to idols. If you remember the letter to Ephesus, 
Um, they kind of had the opposite problem that they're having here in Thyatira. You see, uh, Thyatira's strengths and weaknesses are um, that uh, their, their strengths is that they're strong in love, right? So they, they know they love God. They're following after him and doing what they said. Uh, the text says, hey, uh, your, your love, faithfulness, service, endurance, I know that your first, your last works are greater than the first. So you're improving. You keep get, uh, striving after who God is and trying to, to live the, the best you can for him. So they were strong in that area. But unfortunately, they had no discernment about uh, uh, God and his word, and they unfortunately let uh, a, a heresy come in, and they started to tolerate this false teaching. But, but not only were they, they tolerant of this evil, but they were proud and unwilling to repent and turn away from this evil and heresy. They just let it come in, and maybe it seemed to them that it, it, it didn't line up uh, quite right, but they was like, well, yeah, we're just going to go along. It's not that bad. Uh, we'll be okay. We're, we're still doing the stuff that we need to do. We're still acting as if we're following Christ. So it's not a big deal, right? God doesn't care about this other stuff that we're doing. Matter of fact, we need to fit in. This is what everybody else is doing. If we don't join in with the, the culture, then, then we're going to be ostracized. We're not going to fit in. People are not going to want to do business with us. So we kind of have to, right? We have to join in in what they're doing. You know, a lot of people throw around the term heresy, but what exactly does that mean? If you heard the word heresy, what does that mean? The basic definition of heresy is a belief or opinion that is contrary to orthodox religious doctrine. And orthodox simply means that it conforms with what is generally or traditionally accepted as right or true or established and approved. So when you look at that heresy and orthodox, basically um, it reminds me of what we see in Ecclesiastes 1 and 9. It says, what has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. There is nothing new under the sun. So if we look at Christian doctrine or the character of God and, and things that we think and believe about it, there, there's nothing new. All the arguments that we're having today have been argued and tested over time. They've been talked about and debated hundreds and hundreds of years. There's nothing new that we can dream up and talk about that we're trying to defend. So this is how we've gotten various creeds and confessions like the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, the Belgian Confession, London Baptist Confession, and, and others. These, these things were written and put together in order to combat heresy or, or at least to draw some clarity around um, you know, what, what the Bible says and what we all believe. Not that it replaces the Bible, and I think some of us today have some challenges with that. We hold our creeds higher than we actually hold the Word of God, and that's dangerous as well. But these, these things were brought about to, to add some clarity 
And so that, well, how do you say this is different than that? And like, well, this is why. Then also, then heresies coming up. They had false teachers back then, just like we do now, as we're reading about here today. And what they wanted to do by putting this, these creeds and confessions together is to maintain orthodoxy and practice. Look, let's make sure we have the main thing, the main thing. And while there's room for disagreement in secondary or tertiary issues, such as maybe the, the mode of baptism or God's sovereignty, spiritual gifts, um, those that we can debate and have been debated again across the course of time, but there are, are uh, foundational and primary issues that must be upheld in Christian practice as orthodox. There's some things that are undisputable when it comes to us being Christians and what that doctrine says. And this includes things like um, the God being uh, a three in one. You know, we, we, we talk about uh, the Trinity. The, no, the, the word Trinity is not found in the Bible. However, the, the, the idea and the thought and what's represented, what's revealed by God supports the, the Trinity, that God is uh, God, the Father, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and the three are one. That's something that is not debatable because it's very clear in Scripture. Or uh, the virgin birth, the virgin birth of Jesus, uh, that uh, Christ lived a sinless life. It's another thing that is not debatable. Christ's death on the cross, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension. You know, these are foundational to the Christian view and Christian document, uh, doctrine that is not arguable. And folks will try to say that they're Christian. And I talked about last week about a person on Twitter who talked about, hey, I'm a Christian, but I don't believe anything that Christians believe. Well, it doesn't really work that way. When you say you're a Christian, I mean, like you can't, you can't say I'm a plumber, but I don't do plumbing. You know, that doesn't compute for us. So there's things that are foundational to our view and what it means to be a Christian. So when we talk about Christian orthodoxy, there's things that just cannot be debated because they're crystal clear in Scripture, whereas we do have the secondary and tertiary issues where it has been argued and debated, and there's not, there is a lack of clarity around some of those things. But the main things are the main things. And so it's incumbent on us, it's our responsibility to know and understand who we are as Christians and what that means. So if somebody says, well, I'm a Christian, but I don't believe Jesus is God, red flag. Because Jesus communicated to his people that he is God. He says, I am. Tell them I am sent me. Then you got to know your Old Testament and know what that means. But he's very clear when it comes to, to what that looks like and what that means. It, you remember, um, we've talked about this so many times during the series, but you remember what it means to know the, the difference between the truth and the lie? How do you tell the difference between the truth and the lie? You've got to first know the truth. You got to know the, the real deal so that you can understand and identify 
the, the counterfeit. We need to study truth. That's how we, we know and protect ourselves from false teaching or things seeping into um, the, uh, our doctrine or people trying to tell us otherwise. We've got to know who God is and know his character. You guys are going to get tired of me, but I'm going to keep telling you to read your Bible until you actually do it. I'm going to say it over and over and over again. Read your Bible until you have a regular daily habit. You're going to hear it from me. Read your Bible. Read your Bible. Read your Bible. I'm going to get blue in the face. I'll probably be on my deathbed. Read your Bible. But that's how important it is. That is how important it is for us to spend our time with God and his scripture and his revealed word to us so that we know the truth, that we stand on the truth and we don't budge. The Old Testament builds on itself and sets us up to be able to read and understand the New Testament. It's, it's cool the way this works because when I was a teenager, you know, I looked at the Bible and I tried to read. I'm like, man, the Old Testament is just, it's boring. It's hard. Not to mention I was trying to read the King James. So I don't understand half the stuff it's saying anyway. And I wanted to read the Bible. I wanted to know God. But I'm just like, okay, I'm just going to read the New Testament. That's, that's a little easier for me. I'm just going to read it. And I kind of just not really even thinking about the Old Testament till I was encouraged to. I was in a Bible study and they kept talking about, well, if you, uh, you look at this, this verse and what it's saying, it helps us to let's go back to the Old Testament where this comes from. I'm like, whoa, like for real? Like it, it kept coming up time and time again that more clarity came out because it referred to something that I didn't see before. Like, oh, now I get it. Now I understand. And as much as Jesus quotes the Old Testament, you've got to know where, where you are and where you're going. And so a whole new world opened up for me once I started reading the Old Testament, especially on a regular basis. You know, it's, it's kind of like jumping to season five on your favorite series on Netflix. You know, somebody's been telling you about the series and, like, oh, you got to watch this. It's going to be amazing. And then you go and you jump in. I'm just going to start where the current season is. I don't care about everything else. You jump in and you appreciate it for what it is. And you, you enjoy that season. I mean, like, you know, I like this enough. I'm going to go back to season one. And when you, when you start watching the earlier seasons, then you see this character development. You see all the things that they're going through together, and then it starts making sense, the stuff that you saw in season five. Like, oh, now I know why and how they got in the predicament that they were in. Because in season two, episode four, <laughs> these things happened. It's the same way with, with the Bible, that the Old Testament unlocks the things that you need to understand the New Testament. Uh, uh, the Old Testament is, is, is Christ concealed and the New Testament is Christ revealed. So it just opens up a whole new world so you can understand how all these things happen, how it evolves and what it means for us today. Second Peter 2 and 1 says, There were indeed false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who brought them and will bring swift destruction on them. Here we're talking about even the things that Jesus said they're going against. 
and whatever they're going against with, with what Jesus said is clear heresy. This is not orthodox. It's not doctrine. It's going against what God has told us. 1 John 4 and 1 says, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits and see that they are from God, because my many false prophets have gone out into the world. Let me read into this for you. Read your Bible. Test the spirits. If somebody says God operates and does these things this way, you ask them chapter verse. Where can I find that in Scripture? How do I understand? Even me standing here as your pastor, I hope you will go and test what it is that I'm telling you and read your Bible. Hey, is it what Pastor Vaughn? Pastor Vaughn said all this stuff about this. Is this real? I mean, can I find this? I mean, is this how God operates? This is what we see in the book of Acts with the Bereans. The Bereans, uh, Paul and Silas came and they were teaching them. They were, they were going to town and the Bereans were eating it up. But they were like, yeah, we'll be back. We're going to test this with scripture. And it's like, okay, yeah, this, this lines up. with their, their, their orthodox. They're, they're following the doctrine. What they say is, is true. That's what I hope that we're doing. Test the spirits to see if they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Verse two, this is how you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is uh, the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming even now is already in the world. You are from God, little children, and you have conquered them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. I love to just preach on that one alone. Uh, They are from the world. Therefore, what they say is not from the world and the world listens to them. But we are from God. Anyone who knows God listens to us. Anyone who is not from God does not listen to us. And this is how we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of deception. By knowing God as he's revealed himself through the scripture. So we got, we got this heresy down, I hope, right? We, we kind of understand what that is and what that means for us. But I'm sure you've been waiting all this time to hear about Jezebel. Who is Jezebel. It's not something we hear a lot. When I was growing up, you know, this was thrown around as a not so good term. That that old Jezebel, you know, we need to stay away from her. But why? What's up with that? In order to know and understand who Jezebel is, we've got to go to the Old Testament to remind ourselves. We got to go back to an earlier season to understand who Jezebel is. Jezebel was the daughter of uh, Ethbel who murdered his own brother so that he can take over the throne. He was the uh, priest king of Tyre. And so, you know, Jezebel pretty much followed after her her dad's footsteps. So in in 1 Kings, Jezebel married uh, to uh, Israel's king Ahab. And what she did is is pretty much took over. Ahab was kind of a, well, not kind of, he was a weak king. And Jezebel came in and pretty much took over 
And she imposed Baal worship on the northern kingdom, even though God forbade idolatry and worship of any other gods. She's like, no, we're bringing Baal in, and you guys are going to come in and worship, or you're going to have to answer to me. And so, you know, many folks didn't, and she had them killed, and she had them murdered. Jezebel was the epitome of evil, and she just wouldn't let up. She just wanted to go full bore and impose her will on everybody else. The prophet Isaiah, I mean, Elijah, told her about her demise. He says, this is what's going to happen to you if you don't stop. This is what's going to happen to you if you don't repent and turn away. But she just wanted to be defiant. It's like, I'm going to have it my own way. I'm going to do my own thing. So she ended up getting thrown out of a window to her death, trampled by horses, and eaten by dogs. You can't tell me the Old Testament is boring. Man, you see that on a movie, you're covering your eyes like, oh man, I can't believe this is happening. But that was what happened to her. So this person that's described in Revelation is a person that exhibits the characteristics of this Jezebel. Person that is going and... um, has these tendencies and qualities as an actual woman who claimed to be a prophetess who was actually leading people astray in the church of Thyatira. Man, that's why we got to protect ourselves by knowing who God is and, and protect our, even our church from the wolves coming in. Look with me in verse 21. It says, I gave her time to repent. Again, this is Christ speaking, but she does not want to repent of her sexual immorality. Look, I will throw her into a sick bed and those who commit adultery with her into great affliction unless they repent of their works. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am the one who examines minds and hearts and I will give to each of you according to your works. Even though this this Jezebel character, vicious, evil, doing all these things, I want you to notice something. I want you to notice how gracious the Lord is in this moment. It's incredible to me. I mean, it's easy to read this very fast and to miss this. But this person is going, leading people astray, probably murdering folks and, and doing all types of unimaginable things. But it says, I gave her time to repent. How gracious and lovely is that? Not only her, but the the people that are following her. But she just doesn't want to repent. She doesn't want to. But the Lord is giving her a chance. I told you that you know, this, this evil, wicked person of Jezebel, you know, just doing bad and going to worse, yet despite all of this, this, this false teaching and everything, Jesus is still willing and gracious to give her time to repent. The Lord has given this so-called prophet his time to repent, even, even the opportunity for the church to come to their senses and do something about it, even, even for them to recognize we're going down the wrong path. We got to put a stop to this. We got to get this Jezebel person out and we got to get back to the main thing. 
He even gives the church that opportunity. And with this opportunity, if they don't turn from their evil ways, it will be clear that they fully deserve the punishment that comes. Give you time and time and time. And if it, if it were us, I mean, it's hard to be gracious like this. We would, hey, you're going to get what you deserve right now. But that's not how God treated us. If it were me, I wouldn't be standing here right now. If it weren't that, 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 that I was forgiven time over time over time over time. The same is true for you. You wouldn't be here if God wasn't so gracious to you. Man, what would it look like if we extended that amount of graciousness to others? Here we have these people, and they don't take the opportunity. They, they make their own choice. The Lord basically says, since she likes to use her luxurious bed to commit immorality, he is going to give her a bed in hell where she would lay forever if she didn't turn away from her evil ways. Unfortunately, it, it continues, and people are, are, are still being influenced by this false teaching, and they will suffer in the great tribulation if they don't repent. You know, people often ask, so why does this loving God send people to hell? You say God is, is so loving so caring, so merciful, why would he send people to hell? Make that make sense. I hear this question all the time, but the truth of the matter is that God doesn't send people to hell. You choose it. You choose it. Look at all the opportunities that they've had to repent. You can either be a child of God or a child of Satan. Choose. You can say, well, I just want to have fun. You know, you guys have too many rules and regulations. It cramps my style. I want to enjoy the things of the world. Okay. But let me tell you something about the things of this world. That enjoyment that you have is momentary the exhilaration you have. You know, it's kind of like people who are addicted to drugs. I, I understand that when people start doing drugs, the first time they, they take a certain kind of drug, they get this, this certain high. And it's like something they never felt before. And so they continue to do the drug and, and chase and in search of experiencing the same high and it's never the same. And they continue on until, you know, some of them overdose. Hopefully some of them snap out of it whatsoever. But it's just like us. You know, it might not be actual drugs that we're putting into our body, but the things of this world, and we have that momentary rush, the momentary excitement that just doesn't last, but we go after it time and time again, chasing after something that's just not going to be there because we don't have our eyes focused on what is yet to come when we get to spend forever and eternity with our Father in heaven. So here, this is how we 
We need to get to know and understand what is true and what is good. We have to understand what that means, what that looks like, and submit ourselves to what that is. Just like this Jezebel, uh, Christ is uh, continuously gracious to you, giving you opportunities to turn to him and uh, put your love for him on display. We have opportunities to get to know him through his word. We have opportunities to be encouraged and strengthened by his people. We have opportunities to utilize the purpose that he's given to each and every one of us so that we can feel fulfillment in his life. We've just got to choose him. Those of you who don't choose him are choosing eternal damnation. By the way, an indecision is a decision too. Like, well, I don't want to decide right now. I'll come back. I'll decide later. That's a decision. So that's what um, Jezebel and her followers do. They just aren't willing to turn from their ways. They will be rightfully judged for their idolatry and adultery. And here, when, we, when we're reading about adultery, um, which definitely sexual immorality is taking place, but uh, other places within Revelation is all, also talking about um, the, the spiritual adultery as well. So if we, we look at this as being unfaithful to Christ, since um, he is the groom and the church is his bride, and we seek after and follow anything other than him, that is a commitment of spiritual adultery. Look with me in verse 24. And I say to the rest of you in Thyatira who do not hold this teaching, who have, haven't uh, known the so-called secrets of saving, as, as they say, I am not putting any other burdens on you, only to hold to what you have until I come. Here Jesus is recognizing that not everybody in the church is not uh, painting with a broad stroke here. Not everybody in Thyatira is unfaithful. Some had actually separated themselves from this false doctrine and the practices of Jezebel and their followers. They were okay being squares. Like this is what God told us to do. We're going to stay in our lane. We're not going to entertain all these other things. And so Jesus' eyes distinguishes between the sincere believers and those who abandon God's word and seek after things of Satan. These people are seeking after deceptive promises of, of secret uh, spiritual knowledge through these other false religions, all these other things that are coming across. But fortunately, the folks that are content in God, that the folks are, that are content with the gospel have nothing to fear as long as they stay true, as long as they stay faithful to what God has said. 1 Corinthians 2 and 10 says, Now God has revealed these things to us by the Spirit, since the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. I used to think, man, may I, I can hide this from God. I can hide it from everybody else. Maybe I can hide it from God, too. <laughs> Uh, that's, that's not it. God knows, sees everything. There's no place you can hide. Uh, the, the, the David the psalmist even said this, where, where can I go? There's, there's no place for me to go that you are, you are not. Verse 26. 
the one who conquers and who keeps my works to the end. I will give him authority over the nations and he will rule them with an iron scepter. He will shatter them my pottery just as I have received this from my father. I will also give him the morning star. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the spirit says to the churches. Believers who remain steadfast and faithful will be given authority over the nations and reign with Christ. That's what believers in Christ have to look forward to. Instead of looking to the the here and the now and our current satisfaction, our current comfort, we have something to look forward to later on if we would just remain faithful. Revelation 20 and 4 says, uh, Then I saw thrones and people seated on them who were given authority to judge. I also saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because of the word of God, who had not worshipped the beasts or his image, and who had not accepted the mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Man, that's, that's going to be incredible. That will be a sight to see. When the Lord sets up his kingdom on earth, it will be a righteous kingdom with perfect judges, judge, justice, unlike what we see today. He will rule with an iron rod, and rebellious men will be like clay pots and broken into pieces. Brothers and sisters, as we have read through these letters, it's easy for us to see the danger that still exists for us today. It's nothing new under the sun. Uh, God's word is is as uh, important and pertinent today as it was when it was written. We face the same challenges as these churches that we are reading about, even in here in the first two chapters of Revelation. And we could be like Ephesus and be on our guard and protecting against false teaching, but lose our love and devotion for Christ, we could be that church. Or on the opposite end, um, we can be like Thyatira, where our love is strong, but we fail to follow what is right and true and start following these unorthodox teachings and these false teachers that come in as heresy. I hope that we would be neither. I hope that we would stand firm and continue to be faithful. But regardless of where we find ourselves, the Lord calls us to repent and turn away from these things and turn to him. There's always going to be sin in our lives on this side of heaven. And our job is to to be be, uh, cognizant of that and to to fall on our knees and ask God for forgiveness and to turn away from those things. We need to change our minds when it comes to the sin in our lives, not just be okay with it, not say, well, this is a a little white lie, doesn't mean anything. It's, It's just as sinful as anything else that we need to repent or turn away from. This is not only for the folks who don't know Christ, and we think that, well, people who don't know Christ, they're the ones that need to repent and, and they come to him and change their minds and turn away and live like Christ. Of course, yes, they do. But don't get it twisted. This is for the saints here, too. This is for those of you here 
um, that have just kind of turned aside. This is for the disobedient Christians. They think, well, I, I, I made my confession. I was dunked one time. I'm good. I can live life like I want to. That's not how that works. You cannot sin with reckless abandon. If you don't repent and deal with sin in your life and in the church, the Lord may judge us and remove our lampstand. That's simply not a place that we want to be. So if you got ears to hear, listen up. Repent. Turn away. Change your mind. Today is the day, now is the time to do so. Whether you have not yet committed yourself to Christ or whether you've done it and you need to recommit, now is the time. This is the moment. And then we don't leave here and just like, okay, well now I've done, I recommitted. Read your Bible. Amen a regular daily habit so you know the difference between the false and the truth. That nobody can come and lead you astray. No Jezebel can come into your life <laughs> and tell you and entice you to do something other than what God has commanded you to do. I'll be up here and I can pray with you if you need. Uh, um, you you want to ask some questions about what this looks like for you in your life. Um, how, how you can adopt it, how can, how, what do I do now? What do I do later today? What do I do about my friends and all this stuff that's coming? That's what the church is here for. So we can walk with you in this journey. If you're online with us, you know, leave us a comment, send us a direct message about uh, you know, what this means for you in your life, how you can live for Jesus, um, how you can go and study the word. Maybe you like I, I was, and just like, man, this stuff doesn't make sense. That's why we're here, so that you can be equipped and know God for who he is. Let's pray. Gracious God, thank you so much for loving us in, in such a way that you have pre preserved your word for us to be able to read. And we have so many uh, different examples that you supplied for us. Uh, help us to be what you call us to be. Well, we know we're going to fall down, but uh, we need to trust in you to lift us back up so that we can live a life that is pleasing and honoring to you. Help us to do that here today. Uh, let's not take for granted the things that we have. Uh, help us to, to leave here today and be able to carve out time in our day, every day, to spend with you. That we might be energized and fulfilled and strengthened so that not only we can know the, the difference between what's false and true, but we can know you that we can have a true, honest, thriving relationship with the God of the universe. We, we thank you so much for revealing yourself to us in, in such a way that we can. Thank you for sending your son and reconciling us back to you. We thank you for all these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.